Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We got good, bad, and crazy martinis for you. And just as I was a few weeks ago, if Jim sometimes seems like he's not completely locked in today, he's heading out on vacation shortly after we record today. But Jim, I know you're a professional and you're going to give it your all here as you head out for the next week. A lot of listeners are going to say, I can't tell any difference. All right. Well, our good martini is a follow-up on yesterday's good martini. And this one's not quite as good in the pure sense, but it's good in the sense that it's uh, fun to watch Democrats eat each other. And if you have any popcorn handy, hey, go for it. Uh, Yesterday, we talked about how a dozen House Democrats, and really it should have been a couple hundred House Democrats, uh, criticized uh, Ilhan Omar for seemingly comparing uh, the Taliban and Hamas with the United States and Israel, talking about human rights atrocities and so forth. Uh, And so Ilhan Omar uh, took offense at that, but then ultimately I think she got talked to by Nancy Pelosi. And so then later on Thursday, Omar said that she uh, was not equating them and she just uh, wanted to make sure that uh, human rights abuses uh, were were dealt with all over the place. Uh, The House Democratic leadership put out a statement uh, condemning what Omar had said. But uh, just when you think it's over, Jim, here comes Rashida Tlaib, fellow squad member. And she's not the only fellow squad member weighing in. Uh, Tlaib tweets out yesterday afternoon, just before 4 o'clock, I think this is after uh, all the statements from Omar and the House Democrats leaders came out, freedom of speech doesn't exist for Muslim women in Congress. The benefit of the doubt doesn't exist for Muslim women in Congress. House Democratic leadership should be ashamed of its relentless, exclusive tone policing of Congress women of color. Not to be outdone, Jamal Bowman of New York, uh, he was the one we talked about earlier this week in response to Joe Manchin. But he says when a woman, person of color, or Muslim speaks out against injustice, backlash ensues. When Ilhan Omar speaks out, the vitriol is compounded by her being all three. As Democrats, we must recognize the biases that fuel personal attacks and defend our colleagues. Ayanna Presley, stop the bad faith attempts to take Ilhan Omar's words out of context. She called a simple question. The ICC exists to investigate and exact recourse when human rights are violated. Jim, so Nancy Pelosi trying to put this uh, fire out as quickly as possible. Not everybody's playing ball, though. So we're going to see how much this... uh, intra-party fighting plays out on the public stage. Greg, let's take a moment and just kind of step back and, and look at all of the motives of everyone involved. Like, do you think Nancy Pelosi wants to spend a lot of time issuing statements, calling attention to something controversial one of her Democratic House members said? Right? The answer is no. She, the last thing she wants to do, she's only going to do this when not doing it is going to cause her bigger headaches than doing it, Right. Do you think those 12, uh, I believe they're all Jewish Democrats who called her, you know, Ilhan Omar, do you think they want to do that? Do you think they really, you know, they're itching and looking for a fight over with fellow Democrats over Middle East policy? I I don't think so. I think they'd rather avoid that fight if they could. Uh, It's only when it gets so egregious there. And if you look at what, you know, Ilhan Omar and the squad, like, if you wanted to say, U.S. policy is too favorable towards Israel and not favorable enough towards the Palestinians, I don't agree with that. But it's not a crazy thing to say. It's not an inherently uh, offensive thing to say. I think it's just wrong. Now, the thing is, is though, if you want to say uh, there are a lot of innocent Palestinian people who get hurt when Hamas fires rockets and Israel fires back, who's going to speak for these people? Who's going to stand up for these people? 
Hamas is a terrible group to have in charge of your territory. Like you could, you know, there are a lot of ways that Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and the squad could, you know, try to get people to say, hey, we in the United States have an obligation to help innocent Palestinians. You know, you're going to get some pushback on that, but at least that would be within the realms. But Ilhan Omar can't do that. She's got to go out and you know, make this argument, which very clearly it's stated that Israel and the U.S. and Hamas and the Taliban were all morally equivalent, that they've all committed uh, atrocities. They're all the same. And, you know, we only investigate some and not the other. Right. And it was kind of this argument of, well, the difference is, is that, you know, Hamas and the Taliban, they get held accountable for their abuses, but Israel and the U.S. don't. Right. So in a way, she's saying they're worse than uh, Hamas and the Taliban. So, you know, that's like the worst possible way you can make that argument. And by instead of like recognizing, uh, you know, Ilhan should have put it differently, you know, or, or the, ah, you know, this. All right. I understand the point she was trying to get at, but this is really more counterproductive. It's just starting to die down. And then Rashida Tlaib has to jump out and say, one, like, freedom of speech doesn't exist for Muslim women in Congress. Like, if you're making that argument, I never want to hear you arguing that it's okay for Twitter to take Trump off its platform, right? I mean, the whole thing is, you know, because no one has said Muslim women in Congress can't speak. No one is saying Ilhan Omar can't speak. They're saying, no, that was a stupid thing to say, and you shouldn't say it. It's not saying, you know, that we're going to, we're going to prevent her from speaking on the House floor, we're going to deny her the ability to be on Twitter. We're going to deny her the ability to put out press releases. We're not going to allow her to do press conferences on Capitol Hill. None of that is restricting her freedom of speech. You're just saying, no, that was a dumb thing to say, and you shouldn't have said it. And then, Rashid Leo, House Democratic leadership should be ashamed of its relentless, exclusive tone policing of Congresswomen of color. She's calling Nancy Pelosi and the other House Democrats in leadership racist judging congresswomen of color by a different standard. But look, Craig, do you think that applies to Jim Clyburn? <laughs> Good question. Well, she's just she's just chucking stuff against the wall and seeing where it sticks here. But uh, I think that, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi's goal was to uh, to put this off to the side as quickly as possible. And now this is going to keep it on the front page for at least another day or so. I just like it is this Marvel, you know, like there's this attitude. I, you, you can you can blame Trump for it, but it, it predates him. It, it's kind of been. I, I mentioned yesterday that like Ilhan Omar and Marjorie Taylor Greene are not as far apart as Democrats would like to, to pretend, right? Every every party's got its fringe. We all remember, you know, I mean, Dennis Kucinich wanted to have a, a Department of Peace instead of a Department of Defense, and Jim Traficant had that dead squirrel on his head and he used to say, beam me up, Mr. Speaker. Like, there's always been these wackos in Congress. Fine. You know, you get 435 million, uh, Americans together. So at least a handful of them are going to be lunatics and weirdos. Fine. Um, but what's interesting is that each step of the way, the squad chooses the most confrontational way. Like every time there's a fire, they want to pour gasoline on it. And yet somehow they wonder how they're marginalized. Gee, how did that happen, Greg? Yeah, yeah, it's really hard to figure out. But, uh, you know, the media used to love talking about how the House leadership, when Republicans had the majority, the House leadership and the Freedom Caucus, man, look at this infighting. This is ugly. Pop the popcorn. But when this happens on the Democratic side, uh, they don't uh, seem seem to enjoy it as much. But we do. And so uh, we'll see how much this uh, continues because uh, the longer Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar are making uh, news and kind of are seen by folks as mouthpieces for the Democratic Party, well, that, that can't hurt us at all. 
Uh, let's talk about some even better news, though. Father's Day coming up here. I believe it's a week from Sunday. Uh, hope you've got your plans in order to uh, get some wonderful things for your dad. But uh, one of the best things you can get him is Omaha Steaks. I love Omaha Steaks, and as I mentioned uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Omaha Steaks, as soon as they come to mind, they make me think of becoming a father because, uh, as I mentioned, when our first daughter, we thought the day she was going to be born, we headed to the hospital. Didn't happen. She was born a couple days later, Uh, but when we came back on that... On that first attempt, uh, we had a big box of Omaha steaks uh, sitting on the porch. It was a great gesture, a great gift from a friend. And, of course, after our daughter was born, you know, we had some meals coming in from friends and through the church and so forth. But we also had the Omaha steaks, and that was uh, a great thing to have uh, while my wife was recovering and uh, we were getting used to uh, a very different sort of life. So Omaha steaks and fatherhood go together for me. And right now, Omaha steaks has an amazing limited-time Father's Day offer just released for our listeners. Go to Omaha steaks.com and enter the promo code martini into the search bar and order the dad's best grill pack this is astounding it is basically a week's worth of fantastic meals for less than a hundred dollars for 99 dollars 99 cents you will get 28 of omaha steaks favorite entrees we're talking four bacon wrapped fillets four premium boneless chicken breasts four boneless pork chops eight gourmet jumbo franks Plus, the all-time favorite, the made-from-scratch caramel apple tartlets, the Omaha Steaks signature seasoning packet, and eight free filet mignon burgers, all for just $99.99. So great. All these things are very, very good. I especially love the steaks and the burgers, and I mentioned the uh, restaurant-style fries uh, last time, but everything in this packet you are going to love. This is an unbelievable offer at 59% savings. These packages are selling out fast, though, so don't wait. Go to omahasteaks.com, use the keyword martini, and order the Dad's Best Grill Pack today. That's omahasteaks.com, keyword martini, for a 59% savings and eight, count them, eight free filet mignon burgers. Man, it's hard to beat that. All right, let's talk about our, uh, I, I don't know if this is another crazy martini or uh, potentially bad. I guess it's bad that Harris doesn't just go to the border and end the talking point here. Jimmy thinks she'd do it just to do, just for that reason alone. The, the main reason she should go to the border is to uh, actually find out what's happening there and maybe get a little more urgency in solving that part of the problem instead of just dealing with root causes. We talked about her dust up with Lester Holt, of all people, who simply asked when she's going to the border and she... First of all, said she did, and then she said, well, I haven't been to Europe either, so I don't know what your point is. Uh, But then she did uh, an interview, I believe, after returning from Guatemala with Ilya Calderon of Univision, which is not exactly the most hostile uh, outfit in the media towards uh, the Biden administration either. But the same question came up, and Harris is still not ready for it. I've said I'm going to go to the border. and When are you going to the border, Vice President? The administration has asked... I'm not finished. <laughs> I've said I'm going to the border. And also, if we are going to deal with the problems at the border, we have to deal with the problems that cause people to go to the border, to flee to the border. Jim, she's still not ready for it, so she should just go, although she would probably be seen by some as just uh, going for political reasons. But uh, if she went to Guatemala to study root causes, you might want to go to the border. And <laughs> you wouldn't have to deal with this question all the time. I mean, like the, the one of the ways you can joke about this is, you know, wh- which border are you talking about, uh, Ms. Madam Vice President? Because you haven't been to the U.S.-Mexican border. You got you got kind of close to the Canadian border up in New Hampshire a little while back, but that's not really 
the one people are worrying about. I'd remind you know, remind listeners that back on the, the Lester Holt interview, Harris said, we've been to the border. And I might, you know, my joking response, like, who's this we stuff? And then Holt says, you haven't been to the border. And that's when she had her interest. And I haven't been to Europe. I don't know what the stand, the, I don't understand the point you're making. Like all of this somewhere along the line, someone in the, the vice president's circle or maybe the administration, maybe Biden, I don't know. Somebody looked at this and said, wow, if she goes to the border, she goes to a detention facility. She sees where the kids are being held. She sees where everybody else is. It's going to call attention to the issue. This is our weakest issue. It looks really bad. Let's just not do that, and hopefully, no one will notice. Well, surprise, people have noticed. It's not. It's not like you know. It's not like Republicans were just going to forget about this issue and not raise this point. And if you are in charge of stemming, but stemming the tide of migration is how uh, Biden had put it. Right. This is not like because there's this whole thing. But no, no, she's talking about the root causes. Well, look. He didn't say it spe- that specifically when he was announcing she'd be taking this position. And even if you want to focus on the root causes, there's really like, like what's the harm of a trip to the border? Um, if you want to say this administration is opposed to, oh, just be a meaningly, meaningless photo op. Joe Biden went to a rock climbing facility in Alexandria, Virginia, <laughs> not too far from where I'm sitting. You know, this administration does you know, meaningless, happy photo ops all the time. So what's, I don't understand why they wouldn't want to do this one, even if you think of it just as a photo op. But also like, there's just kind of this sense that like, if she actually did see it, maybe the idea of, hey, you just kind of cross her mind, we can't downplay this. But now it just seems like this stubborn, you can't make me go to the border. Um, and the other thing I think, which is just very revealing about Harris, and we saw this in the debates, and I think it's there, you know, I, I don't know about you, Greg, I go to uh, Barnes and Noble, go to the magazine section. It's a little bit less now, but for much of the past year, you've seen these like special editions of Newsweek and other publications, and they don't have Biden on the cover, or at least, you know, most of them, don't. They, have, they have Kamala Harris on the cover. And it's like this, you know, her historic journey or, you know, this, a milestone for American women. You know, it's just this very open celebration of her, very Obama-esque for those of us with memories going back to 2007, 2008, 2009. But she's not. She's, she's actually, you know, arguably not that good at that, at this. I think this reflects in part in California, you're just never used to pushback. In California, being part of the Democratic machine, you just never get this kind of pushback. And clearly Kamala Harris has decided the I'm not finished. Don't interrupt me. You know, don't stop. I'm still talking. You know, these lines, remember that, you know, her, her interaction with Pence in the vice presidential debate, it's now become kind of reflexive to her. So now she likes to play that card whenever anyone uh, interrupts her filibustering in any capacity. And so it comes out there's you know the idea that Univision is somehow being sexist to her or Univision is somehow being racist to her. Like it's a perfectly valid question. And it's kind of fascinating that each successive interview she does digs this hole deeper, no matter how friendly the interviewer is. Um, it, it really is kind of fascinating. Oh, there's another thing, I think it was uh, the, the ex-Politico folks who did Punchbowl. I want to say it was Jake Sherman, but I could be wrong. One of them said, uh, Harris has been getting interview training while she's vice president. And Greg, doesn't that, I, I just found that you know, report baffling because by the time you're vice president, aren't you supposed to be good at doing television interviews? <laughs> I mean, she ran for president for almost a year. I mean, she didn't get yeah, to the badly. Point where, yeah, she didn't do well, but you'd think <laughs> yeah. you'd at least get practice in that. I mean, and these aren't hard questions. They're not challenging questions. Imagine if one of these people actually got into the details of 
Biden administration policy and how that could be, and not could be, is contributing to the massive problem at the border. Imagine if it actually got into that sort of uh, discussion. She'd be completely lost. And I think this is evidence that uh, while you might be a good demagogue on the campaign trail, actually getting down and rolling up your sleeves and digging into policy is a very different skill set. And she's just not good at it. You know, like the right answer, the, the way to get out of this mess is to say, you know, next Thursday, I'm going to the border next Thursday. And that, you know, and then, and then the question, you know, it, it, would it be a rough news cycle? Sure. But you know what? You get done with the real, like you rip off the bandaid and the damage ends quickly, as opposed to just stretching it out over and over and over to the point where now it's, you know, it's, it's compl- this cloud over her that's going to happen until she goes to the uh, border because people think it's perfectly reasonable to say, well, if you're dealing with immigration issues, you're trying to understand why migration's going on, you probably should go to the border. I wonder how she feels about Biden saying this week that he plans to run again in 2024. <laughs> I don't think that was her plan for 2024, but uh, we'll see what happens between now and then. Uh, but let's talk about something happier than uh, Kamala Harris being a Biden heartbeat away from the presidency. Let's talk about getting serious in the kitchen. If you're serious about cooking, and you really want to make the best possible food, you need to invest in your kitchen tools. And Maiden's Cookware and Kitchenware products are used by thousands of the world's best chefs. Jim and I were both given the option to uh, to order some cookware from Maiden. My wife and I ordered the stainless uh, steel uh, skillet, uh, used it just a couple of days ago. Uh, my skill set in the kitchen is, is not profound. I scrambled some eggs in there, but I'll tell you, it worked better than the other pan because of the even heat that happens with stainless steel. It's not quite the same with the others. Uh, the, the food tasted great, uh, and they're very easy to clean. Sometimes when you have some of these other pans, uh, you got to worry about that you're actually damaging them, but uh, looking great here with the made-in skillet. So uh, if you're looking for ways to upgrade your kitchen and you want a very quality piece of cookware on that stove, made-in is the way to go. Made-in produces professional-quality cookware and knives for those who love to cook. They source the finest materials and partner with renowned craftsmen to make premium kitchen tools available directly to you without the markup. Made-in products are made to last, and they offer a lifetime guarantee. Their cookware distributes heat evenly and can easily go from the stovetop to the oven. And their knives are fully forged, perfectly balanced, and they stay sharp. Now, they have 28,000 five-star reviews, and their products are used by some of the world's best chefs at Michelin-starred restaurants around the world. Made In is better cookware for better meals. And right now, Made In is offering you, our Three Martini Lunch listener, 15% off your first order with promo code MARTINI. Look, it's the best discount available anywhere online for Made In products, so don't miss it. Go to madeincookware.com slash martini and use the promo code MARTINI for 15% off your first order. Again, that's madeincookware.com slash martini and use the promo code MARTINI. All right, moms and dads, we're going to be talking about Jeffrey Tubin here for the next uh, few minutes on the Three Martini Lunch. So if you've got any kids near, you might want to hit the pause button here in the next few seconds. And uh, here we go. Jeffrey Tubin, longtime fixture on uh, network and, and cable TV as a legal analyst, uh, for the most part left wing. He's also spent a lot of time uh, covering the OJ trial. Uh, so sometimes he digs into legal cases that don't directly have a, a political overtone. But uh, in addition to working for CNN for many years, Jeffrey Tubin was also affiliated with The New Yorker until last fall. In October, he was on a Zoom call. Uh, the Zoom call took a break. He thought it was disconnected. And uh, to put it 
quite succinctly. Uh, other of his New Yorker colleagues uh, found him on their screens uh, gratifying himself. He was fired by The New Yorker. He was suspended by CNN. But yesterday, uh, for some inexplicable reason, they decided to put him back on the air. There was this awkward conversation with uh, Allison Camerata uh, where she asked him all about that incident. And he managed to not only uh, say how, you know, dumb he was to do it. And uh, moronic, I think, was a word he used. He even managed to work in a book plug for something he's working on about the Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, But Jim, the question in here is, why can't CNN find anyone else to offer left-wing legal opinions? Why does Jeffrey Tubin uh, have to get back? A lot of people, including women in the media, saying uh, there seems to be a good old boy standard here that allows Jeffrey Tubin to come back when a lot of other people wouldn't. Yeah, this really just just you know, nagged at me yesterday. It, it sounded like a onion headline. You know, we, we heard the news about what he had done. It seemed like an egregious enough offense that uh, you, we just, that'd be the end of, we'd, we wouldn't hear from Jeffrey too, but certainly we'd be seeing him on our televisions and we didn't need to hear from him. He'd look, he'd, you know, he's 61 years old. He's published a lot of books. He was on CNN since like 2002. Um, I think he wrote his book. The OJ thing was set up for the F the FX series he's made his fortune go off and, and I'm going to say ride into the sunset or just, just go away, Jeffrey Tuman. And that's not going to be the case. And I, I wrote about this extensive, if they still, it really kind of nags at me uh, because I mean, I keep hearing people defending, well, he didn't know he was on camera. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the important part <laughs> that that matters a great deal. You know, it'd be even worse if he, if he knew he was on, but this is, you know, uh, you're just not supposed to do that. And this is this, you know, what, well, yes, you know, post pandemic zoom puts us in this weird situation where we're in our homes, but we're in a work environment and, and all that kind of stuff, but you're just not supposed to do that. And the other thing is that we live in a world in which there is this new sweeping cultural standard. I'm not even talking about the me too stuff. I'm talking about, um, Gina Carano can no longer be in Star Wars because she made a what I thought was a genuinely ham-fisted Holocaust comparison. It was a bad, you know, I didn't wasn't a fan of what it was said, but you know, I was fine with her performance. That struck me as the sort of thing where if you're Disney, you pull her aside and say, you know, we really wish you hadn't posted that. You're putting us in an awkward spot. Please stop shooting off your mouth and and you know, making Holocaust comparisons like that. And then you go on with your lives. But no, no, we couldn't have Gina Carano on anymore. Uh, J.K. Rowling is insufficiently supportive of insisting that a trans woman is the same as a biological woman, and thus she's now one amongst history's greatest monster. Don McNeil, formerly the the star science reporter at the New York Times, had been there for like 20-some years, um, used the N-word while quoting someone else uh, in a conversation with students, and he had to go, right? So there's this constant, you know, you know, no, no, one strike and you're out, and, and you know, you we, we hold people accountable now. There's no more of this, you know, there's no mercy. There's no sympathy. There's no understanding. There's no, oh, we understand you're human. You screwed up. Uh, you know, we're going to we're gonna look for some signs of contrition. Go, they go, no, no, I mean, sorry, you know, Jeffrey Tubin's just back. Eight months is enough. Um, and what's uh, astoundingly galling is that somehow along the way, he said uh, in his, this, this interview with CNN that he felt like the New Yorker had been excessively harsh for firing him for doing this. You know, so I really would like to know what is the standard here? I would like one uniform standard that gets applied uh, instead of saying, well, this guy's really good buddies with Jeff Zucker, thus he's free to come back. I, I was really intrigued because I, I, and I really, you, you, you could have to look really far and wide 
to, to find anybody who was upset that Jeffrey Tubin was not on CNN anymore. He, like I said, he's been there since 2002. He's had a nice long run. You know, why, you know, him being there meant that CNN wasn't hiring somebody else to be their chief legal analyst. And Greg, you figure there's got to be somebody else out there who can do it at least close to as well as Jeffrey Tubin. Oh, by the way, Jeffrey Tubin was not that good at that. In fact, you know, if you're watching him, he very often was very unfair. I believe, you know, it was after Kennedy announced his retirement, he guaranteed, or at least he boldly predicted that abortion would be illegal in 20 some states within like a year and a half. Didn't happen. Jeffrey Tubin, like you know, we, when you read his coverage of the Supreme Court, he hates the guts of Clarence Thomas and most of the conservative justices. He, you know, uh, he makes Nina Totenberg look straight in, in straight down the middle. That's, you know, <laughs> who this guy is. So like for that reason alone, he was not a terribly good guy to be uh, covering these things. But, you know, like, okay, fine. You know, but the idea that like, no, no, CNN's decided he's got to go back. Now, I want to point out CNN's Brian Stelter said, wrote that some anchors and hosts at CNN expressed a desire to have Tubin back on their shows since he's been a leading legal voice in te- on television for decades. Do you know what's kind of weird about that, Greg? Brian Stelter is an anchor and host at CNN. <laughs> so is one of those anchors and hosts you know, that, that Brian Stelter is referring to, is it Brian Stelter? Could be. Does Brian Stelter want to have Tubin back? I mean, I guess you know, I, I'm, I'm saying this because my tweet reaction was that name them. I want to know who at CNN was like, we got to bring back Jeffrey Tubin. I want to know who thought everybody else that CNN has had as a legal analyst in the eight, past eight months isn't good enough and that this job can only be done by Jeffrey Tubin. Because my first thought is I don't believe any of them exist. We'll see if it happens. I suppose if Jeffrey Tubin starts popping up on different shows, you know, but it is the other thing I'm just, I crossed my mind after I tweeted that is one of those hosts, Brian Stelter. Does Brian Stelter feel like eight months uh, suspension is, is sufficient? I, I you know, it, it, and if so, I think Brian Stelter should come out and say so. Make the case for him getting that second chance. We never have to do that. We're not going to get that because, you know, Jeff Zucker's decided, fine, yes, I'm going to keep him here. Um, the other, just the last observation, because, you know, there was a time in my career I really, when I used to do CNN more, I used to be, you know, like uh, MSNBC, Fox News. Generally, if you saw me on television, there was a good sign that somebody else was on vacation. <laughs> but there was just kind of this thing, like, you know, yeah, I like doing it. You like being recognized from doing TV and stuff. But I never understood how the booking process worked. I never understood how any of these things, like what what made them decide somebody was good and somebody was bad. And then it was like in the late 2000s, I read this anecdote and it just seems mind boggling. This is not Jeff Zucker. This is his predecessor, Jonathan Klein. And they, it was the late 2000s. They were putting, they were revamping their, their lineup, particularly in prime time. And at eight o'clock, you may recall, for a little while there, Greg, they had a, host, a show that was hosted by Elliot Spitzer. Yes. This was the New York governor who resigned after being caught with a lot of prostitutes because before then he had been a prosecutor who prosecuted people for prostitution and for soliciting prostitutes, right? So Spitzer resigns. He's in disgrace. He just kind of disappears. And then all of a sudden CNN's like, not only do we want to bring him back as an analyst or as a, as a, a talking head, you know, we want to give him the AP, like that's the plum assignment. That's, that's about as good as it gets in cable news. And apparently it was a New York magazine did this long profile of, you know, the internal politics of, of CNN. And apparently somebody, you know, like when Spitz, Jonathan Klein said, we're, this is what we're going to do. And he got quite a bit of resistance. And one of the executives said to him, like, you know, some viewers may be turned off by his hooker scandal. Klein had reportedly snapped back. I don't give an F word. 
Now, Greg, the job of a network president, presumably, is to try to maximize their audience. He's being told directly, you know, it's not just Republicans who aren't going to like Elliot Spitzer. Women might have a problem with this Elliot Spitzer guy. And oh, by the way, they paired her up with Kathleen Parker. Rarely have you seen two hosts who, who just had utter contempt for each other. <laughs> and it was just this weird, like, like it was, this, I'd say it was the most awkward thing on CNN, but they, you know, they put uh, Jeffrey Tubman back on yesterday. So that, that clearly vaults past it. But, you know, the idea that CNN anchors, the CNN presidents get warned, hey, you put this guy on the air, there's going to be a really strong negative reaction. And it might be a just well-justified negative reaction. And the response is, I don't care. There's no sense to it. There's no connection to quality or talent or anything like that. It's just whoever the president of the network likes even if there's glaring a flashing neon sign that this particular host is going to be trouble. And if you doubt me, think of all the second and third and fourth and fifth and 23rd chances that Keith Olbermann has gotten from many <laughs> networks. So that's where we are. So it's one of those things, you know, why is television cable news terrible? Because it's run by terrible people who make terrible decisions and are warned that they're making terrible decisions and insist that, no, this is fine. Because this isn't just the old boys network. This isn't just cronyism, what we're seeing. What we're seeing here in bringing Tubin back on air, right after Chris Cuomo was caught being part of the PR team for Andrew Cuomo, is spiking the football. This is taking our heads and shoving our faces down into their depravity and making us experience it and saying, you can't touch us. We are untouchable. We will do whatever we want in programming. There is nothing we, you can do to stop us. And it kind of, you know, very much shapes the way I see CNN, Greg. And I suspect it's, I'm not the only one. Jim, the good news is you don't have to think about this for the next week. Hopefully have a great time with your family. Enjoy the rest. I will enjoy it, Greg. And unfortunately, I have to come back. No, no. I just don't look forward to coming back to a world where, you know, Jeffrey Tubin is still going to be on television. See you in a week, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, please do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Tell your friends about us. Please continue to give us those five-star ratings and those kind reviews. Those are very helpful to us, and we're very grateful for them. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend, and please tune in again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. The border crisis is not only endangering our national security, but it is greatly empowering adversaries like communist China and Russia. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, I'll also tell you about my interview with the president of Guatemala. And Wisconsin Congressman Tom Tiffany joins me to discuss what he learned about the crisis from his recent visit to the dangerous Darien Gap in Panama. You don't want to miss it. Subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.